As an agribusiness expert with Alliant Energy and a farmer, I know how important it is to get the most out of your land. I know that also applies to getting the most out of how your farm uses energy. That's why Alliant Energy offers free farm energy assessments. With a farm energy assessment, someone like me will find all kinds of ways to help you save money and energy. We can even connect you with rebates to help make energy equipment upgrades even more affordable. Schedule your free assessment at AlliantEnergy.com slash FarmEnergyAssessment. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. As the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, right as we're jumping on to, to do the Mile High Mailbag episode for this week, the Broncos consummate a roster move. Of course, Austin Ford, it was confirmed on Friday. Indeed, tore his ACL. He's done for the year. And so the Broncos made a corresponding roster move, signing offensive tackle, not tight end, so they must expect something good here from Bug Howard or Jake Buttsoon. Offensive tackle, though, Adam Biznawadi. If I butchered his name, I apologize, but it's, a, it's an odd one. But your thoughts on the move? We talked about it off air, Chad. You know, he seems like a familiar name, and he's been a kind of a familiar name in scouting circles. Uh, at this point, any any new blood could help Denver, considering how bad the, the backup offensive line looked against the Seahawks. Uh, Mike Munchak, of course, has that influence where he he could want to bring in someone and listen to him, and they brought this guy in. You made a really good point, though, the fact that they didn't uh, have a corresponding roster move with a tight end would suggest, even for depth purposes for now, uh, they expect Howard to be back soon, but uh, Fumagalli, bigger things for him, and, and fan, of course. But this at this stage of the game, I, get, I think they're just hoping he can just make him through the preseason, then see what they have from here. I don't expect him to be a starter, obviously. He's no major guy, uh, just a camp guy, ultimately, I believe. For what it's worth, he was a 2017 sixth-round pick of the New York Giants and has since bounced around to four other teams, which include the Lions, the Panthers, the Vikings, and most recently, the Redskins. So we'll see what he can do. You know, the backup tackle positions have, uh, you know, been questionable, highly questionable to say the least, outside of Eli Wilkinson. He's been solid there. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, and we touched on this on yesterday's pod on the gut reaction, but behind the starting five, I think there's really only two guys, well, three if you count Sam Jones, that have solidified themselves as near locks for the roster. So Sam Jones, Wilkinson and then Don Barkley but that could change that could change with Barkley because you know they're playing him a lot dude and I think there's there's a reason behind that if they see another option out there or there's a surprise cut somewhere so he's just got to keep on grinding 
Yeah, and right now, like we talked about on yesterday's pod, he I think he's the direct backup to Leary and Reisner at guard. I think he's uh, – seeing how many first-team snaps he's gotten and how the coaching staff seems to favor him, he is a veteran. He brings that stability to the line. It's good to have. Um, I think he's solidified there. A big fan of Wilkinson. I like he can play two positions too. So they have versatile guys along with Jones. And as backups, you could have worse. It's just every time we see him on the field, Chad, now, that third-string offensive line is just brutal to watch. Yep. Old Drew Locke was under constant duress as a result of that. So we'll we'll get more into it. We're going to hear what is on y'all's mind. Today, of course, mailbag day. Now, just for what it's worth really quickly, you guys, it's this. these last couple weeks have kind of been skiwampus in, in terms of the way we've had to structure the podcast because in consecutive weeks the Broncos have had late Thursday night games. And when that happens, it just kind of shakes out to where it's best if Zach and I go Monday, Tuesday, and then the building the Broncos dudes, because they do the scout side preview, their two pods immediately follow Wednesday, Thursday, and then we get back together for you on Friday and Saturday. But coming this coming week, it's going to revert back to its regular schedule. You're going to have Huddle Up on Monday, on Tuesday. Then you're going to have Building the Broncos on Wednesday, followed by Huddle Up on Thursday, Mailbag on Friday, Saturday, the other Building the Broncos. So just for what it's worth, so you know why it's been a little bit different the last couple of weeks. And then the BTB boys, they uh, had to switch up the way they record, which is why those previous two, their last two, I should say, episodes weren't of the highest quality in sound, you know, uh, quality. I apologize for that. There was no getting around that. It was either that or just not give you a pod from them this week. But it'll be fixed by the time you hear BTB again. They'll be back to uh, regular sound quality. So... We're going to dive into the mailbag first. Just a quick reminder, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. Why? Especially if you're new, that's how you get into the mailbag. If you want to access the Mile High Mailbag every Friday, hit us up on Twitter. Also, you can do so on YouTube, but on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. If you're a new listener on iTunes, if you like what you hear, we appreciate it. On Apple Podcasts, if you take some time, leave us a quick creative review and a five-star rating. And also, everyone on YouTube, shout out to you guys. It was great talking to you and engaging with you on uh, Thursday night on halftime or during halftime. That was fun. Fantasy football fans, you got to listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right. $3.5 million in real money. It is absolutely enormous. It's huge. It's season long, but there's no management. You just set it, you forget it. So instead of agonizing over your lineup every single Sunday, Draft does the analysis for you, gives you the most efficient, best odds to win your matchup lineup week in and week out. You do a draft, 16 weeks later, you could be a millionaire. Literally. It does not get any easier than that. It's the highest rated fantasy app and it's available on the App Store and Google Play or you can just go online to draft.com. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code HUDDLE. That's right. A free shot at a million dollars just by using our promo code HUDDLE when you make your first deposit on Draft. Also, a phenomenal way to support the Huddle Up podcast. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play free with promo code HUDDLE. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. 
the Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. All right, Zach, it is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because... Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And sometimes, too, we got to help you exercise the demons. And I imagine in today's mailbag, there's going to be quite a few demons we got to yank out of, of everybody just because of how sloppy that second half was on Thursday night. So let's start with Twitter. It says here, uh, this one comes from Dylan Smith, Zach. It says, uh, from at Dylan Smith, DTDD, he says, Will the Broncos bring in punter competition? For what it's worth, and this was something Nick Kendall covered in a written article on Friday following the game, Wadman has not been good the first two games so far. For what it's worth, I mean, solid, uh, but in terms of one of the reasons why these punt coverage units have been giving up some yards and missing tackles is he's not putting it up there, he's not being accurate with his, his kicking, and he's not hanging it up in the air. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't really impressed with the special teams as a whole yesterday, uh, Chad, against the Seahawks. I really wasn't. Uh, I like Tom McMahon. I think he's a good coach. I put more on the collective operation for that game. Wadman, yeah, he's replaceable. I don't have the free agents pulled up right now uh, as uh, p- potential guys they can bring in. I wouldn't mind, though. I wouldn't object to it if they think they can have a better guy. They replaced Marquette King midseason with Wadman. He rounded out the season well, Chad. We talked him up a little bit in the offseason, but – yeah, he has to perform. His hang time wasn't good. Uh, he wasn't, you know, booming the punts out there. You have to perform better. So if they replace him, I got no problem with that. All right, I concur. But he does seem to be one of Tom McMahon's boys. So yeah. I think, um, you know, they're going to resist the urge to to do anything too upsetting to that particular apple cart unless they have no choice. Uh, so let's turn to this next question here from Paul. At Paul826, also longtime reader and listener of the show, former VIP subscriber. We're going to graft you into our new membership at Mile High Huddle Hill very soon, so stay tuned, Paul. And that goes for all the old VIPs. But he says, first thing, congrats on your new gig, Zach. You're a great writer. You deserve it. Happy belated birthday as well. How can we add quickness to our wide receivers and returner spots with only $2 million in cap space? A three-yard punt return is terrible, Zach. Well, that was uh, very nice to you, Paul. I do appreciate that. I don't I don't know what they can do right now in terms of the cap. Uh, they would have to cut some players. And one player that, that comes to mind right now is Kevin Hogan, Chad. Uh, we talked about it on yesterday's pot. They can free up some cap space. They can make some roster maneuvering. I just think Elway and Fangio are good right now with the competition. They have that extra preseason game, and they value that because it gave them a chance to see more of these players up close, more of the young players 
I think they'll go one more week with the players they have. And after that 49ers game next Monday, they heal up, hopefully get some players back. Then they'll start to uh, finagle the roster, get down, and then they'll have to get down to 53 for final cuts. So I don't anticipate any major roster moves because they don't really have the financials for it right now. This one comes from Tyler Oliver on Twitter, at Tyler OI, and then a long series of numbers. Tyler, my dog, you might want to consider shortening that up. Makes it easier on mailbag people like Zach and I. But he says, did we see enough from Drew Locke to move him up to the number two spot? I'd like to see him get some reps with players that will be on the 53-man roster. Vic Fangio, he follows up here, quotes, he made some damn good throws. Zach, your answer for Tyler. Yeah, we, we talked about it on the on the last pod, Chad. I, what does Kevin Hogan bring to the table right now? All he's doing is taking away backup reps from Drew Locke and stunting the progression of your potential face of the franchise. If you're going to keep three quarterbacks, that's fine. Make him the distinct number three, but give those backup reps to Drew Locke and let him absorb, let him get some time behind a semi-competent offensive line with semi-competent supporting cast. I think after yesterday's game, he proved he has the arm talent and he has... Uh, some of the it factor, some of the breadcrumbs he laid yesterday, Kevin Hogan has neither. He's a jag. He's a journeyman. The Broncos will be better off cutting him, using that roster spot and that allocation for someone else, and moving lock up. I'm in full agreement with that. Just a guy. Just a guy. That's, that's Kevin right. Hogan. And, you know, that's two consecutive games, in fact, that he got to play with the next best and some starters on the offensive line. In fact, following Joe Flacco, uh, his opening possession in which he sat down, um, you had Garrett Bowles still out there, if I remember correctly. I know you had Dalton Reiser still out there, which meant you had Connor McGovern still out there. And those two possessions, it might have been three, but I think it was only two for Kevin Hogan, went to him when, you know, moving forward, I think even if it's just to say, you know what, we want to see what Locke looks like with those guys. We're not making any official change to the depth chart, but the order in which these quarterbacks are going to take the field in the third game is going to change. We're going to put Locke in second, or if they don't have any designs on playing Flacco in the third game, you know, then then let Locke start. Let Locke play and, and, and get those reps with better players. I get your point there, Tyler, because you're exactly right. The vast majority of those offensive linemen, the vast majority of the skill players that Locke has played with in his first two NFL games, you know, they're not going to be in Denver. Maybe a couple of them on the practice squad, but most of them, you know, they're going to either be looking for, for a roster spot elsewhere or, you know, doing something else for a living. So I think that uh, at this point, it might not have been completely, you know, a, a game in which. Locke kind of broke onto the scene with confidence and authority, but it was enough, I think, of a step forward that if I'm in those meeting rooms and I know what kind of an investment we have in this kid, I'm saying, hey, look, you know, let's, I think that was enough to at least justify. And if there was any questions within the locker room and veterans, we can sell it by saying, look, man, the kid made some plays. I mean, he did. He made some throws last night, Zach, that were like next level. Now he would follow that up with some inconsistent footwork and, you know, he wasn't getting any help from his offensive line, obviously, but. He did enough, I think, to justify that conversation to where if you had to have a private conversation or sell it to someone in the locker room who might have doubts, you have no problem doing that. He made some throws last night, Chad, that Hogan can only dream of. And, you know, I don't understand. They have all this confidence in Joe Flacco as this 34-year-old entering his prime, and he's been fairly uh, injury-resistant regardless of last year. So you have faith in him being a veteran. I'm so tired of that veteran narrative, Kevin Hogan. He has one game of starting experience. That's not a veteran. That's one notch above a rookie. So to keep him around at the expense of your second-round investment, the guy that Elway fell in love with, Drew Locke, who showed that what he has last night, 
that Hogan will never possess, and he's growing by the week. I just don't understand keeping a guy ahead of him. It just prevents him from getting further opportunity. I don't understand it. All right, let's turn to some questions here from our great community of listeners on YouTube, which is growing exponentially by the week. And we'll just start at the top here. This one comes from Fragile Earth. He says, I know Austin Fort was probably a practice squad candidate, but as our Broncos priests, I insist you do an exorcism on the Broncos tight end room to expel the heinous injury demon that has been haunting them, exclamation point. So, you know, we, uh, you know, we do our thing and exercise the demons, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, wada-bing, bada-bang. All right, exercised. Now let's hope maybe we get Jake Butt back on the field on uh, Sunday, Zach. Yeah, which uh, let me grab my Ouija board. I'm going to exercise the demons tonight. Uh, it, it, I think it's it's we say it as a joke that the Broncos' tight end room is cursed, but I mean, you look at the the facts. I mean, all these players are going down with injuries, and they're down to their backups, backups right now. It's not a good situation when you're counting on a guy coming back from his third ACL tear in Jake Butt. But uh, hopefully, Fant can develop ahead of schedule. Hopefully, Hireman's shoulder isn't that badly injured. He can at least be a veteran stability presence for the Broncos. Uh, but right now, yeah, the injuries are piling up there, and it's just making things harder uh, for that offense to get together. And for what it's worth, I mean, the implication of the Broncos choosing to roster a new offensive lineman instead of another tight end, to me, it would indicate that either Jake Butt or Bug Howard are expected very soon to come back to the field because right now you got Hireman, who if it was a regular season game, he would have been out there. But you got Hireman, Fant, and Fumagalli, and then I guess you still have Morale Stevens. So, you know, that's enough to get by, provided nothing else happens. But that tells me, Zach, something uh, – something, we might have some good news on either Butt or Howard here very soon. Now, next question comes from Eclipse Stormborn. And by the way, to Eclipse, you had subscribed as a VIP right before all that, you know, what hit the fan with the old network. So I'm, uh, I'm going to be looking out for you once we roll out our, our premium offering here on the new – a Maven site that's going to be going to Sports Illustrated here in October. So stay tuned for that, Eclipse. I'm going to look out for you, brother. He says, happy Friday. Um, I know I was going to ask about navigating on the new site, but Chad replied on a tweet. But I would like to know if you guys are going to continue the Know Your Enemy podcast. I know it was filler for the offseason, but I enjoyed hearing a different perspective. And I would really like to know what a Raiders analyst would like to or would have to say. Keep up the great work. Peace from Philly. Zach, I guess uh, we did kind of get sidetracked with all the the drama that went on with our uh, just our change ups there. But I'd say uh, so. Yeah, I think we got to find a Raider guy. I've always had a damn hard time finding a good Chargers person to get on a podcast, but we can find someone from the Raiders for sure. Yeah, we had a good Raiders guest on last year, and Jeff Smith, who covered them for twenty four seven. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're out there. It's just hard to schedule different writers at, at a, a weekly pace and considering the amount of shows we do. Uh, we do like offering that chat. We like talking to other people. We had Seth Kaiser on uh, for the Chiefs. It's fun. It's, it's it, behind the enemy lines. It's a good concept for us. We actually learn more. I can speak for Chad. We actually learn more about the opposing teams from these opposing writers and these opposing analysts. We would love to do it more. Uh, it just comes down to scheduling and uh, logistics. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely keep it, uh, you know, as a feather in the cap and see if we can accommodate that eclipse. Next one here, Zach, comes from Brent Pepper. He says, I was wondering with this injury bug that won't go away, is what it is or is the guy that does their conditioning really suck? Is is it – okay, I get what he's saying. Is it a it is what it is type of situation with the injury bug? In other words, it's going to happen or – are we having some problems with the, the strength and conditioning guy? He says, I know injuries happen. It's part of the game. But what are your thoughts, Zach? 
I mean, Chad, we've been saying it since last season with Lauren Landau. The injuries have been piling up, and they've been lower body injuries. And then Austin Fork goes down with a torn ACL. It's just... I don't want to point the finger at him. They also have Vince Garcia, who's a new head trainer, taking over for Greek. There's been some changes there. I don't want to blame them. Injuries are a part of the game. It's it's a bad luck, too. But uh, the amount of lower body injuries to these players in the last couple seasons, Chad, that's staggering. And that, to me, says something in the regiment, something they're doing with their conditioning, their weightlifting, something is not right there for the amount of lower body injuries. That's just my theory. Maybe I'm wearing too much tinfoil on my head, though. It's just hard not to to go, you know what, coincidence. I mean, how long are we going to just say, ah, oh, it's a coincidence? You know, under Rich uh, Lucasen, the Broncos had a lot of good luck, let's say, with the injury bug for many, many years. Of course, there's always going to be the outliers, the Chris Harris's, the Von Miller tearing his ACL in 2013, and it's going to happen. But it just seems the volume over the last season and a half has really increased since Richardson took that promotion with the Houston Texans. All right, next question here comes from Sin G on YouTube. He says, what's up, guys? What do you think about the structure that Rich Scangarello is laying out on offense as far as formations? I already see a change in this offense from third and seven to third and one or second and one. I feel change is coming. Go Broncos. Sounds like, Zach, that uh, Sin G is feeling optimistic based on what he's seeing from Rich Scangarello from a design perspective. So am I. And changes in coming, changes here, Chad. I tweeted about it yesterday. The Broncos were in third and one. There was no shotgun formation, no three wide receiver sets like we saw under Bill Musgrave. It was a run play. And shocker, they got the first down. They broke off a nice run. Scangarello, for what I've seen, is sticking to the Broncos' strengths, hammering home with Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, using that to set up the pass. Also, a crap ton of boot action, play action, rollouts. It doesn't work for Kevin Hogan, but it works for it'll work for Joe Flacco. It'll work for Drew Locke. Also, that RPO we called for Drew Locke yesterday in the, against the Seahawks took advantage of his sneaky mobility, caught the Seahawks off guard, caught the camera guy off guard. Uh, to me, I think he's a more balanced play caller. He'll be more consistent, and he'll play to the Broncos' strengths, and that in turn will lead to more points. Couldn't have said it better myself, and I really loved seeing that where – Scangarello was like, look, it's fourth and one. we got to move the chains here. Everyone's going to be expecting a dive up the gut. And they psych him out on, on the option there, and Locke picks it up with his legs. And, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. I think Scangarello is still working out some kinks. He's still kind of figuring out the, uh, you know, his, his MO as a play caller in the moment, game to game, snap to snap. The biggest thing I want to see from him in terms of improvement, Zach, and it's hard to really – you know, put put a finger on the pulse of exactly how big of an issue this is because it's multiple units, multiple players, you know, backups, backups to backups and all that. But in the red zone, I want to see them convert a little bit better. They, they've been, uh, le- you know, lackluster, I'll say, inside the 20. Two touchdowns through two games only. I think they need to improve that. And they've been in the red zone more than that, obviously. So they that's, that's my only bone that I'll pick with Scangarello at this point is, and who knows, maybe it has something to do with just the – turnover in terms of personnel going from one quarterback to another to another and the different backups and all that but that's an area Zach I think they could improve yeah and for sure I do agree with that and it always comes last in the offense it's, it's a tough part of the offense to get down I will say though that Cortland Sutton pass he broke off a nice route Flacco missed him in the end zone I don't know how you out overthrow Cortland Sutton, but he managed to do that. And what I took away from that was Sutton really is working on his footwork there, and that play will be deadly in the regular season once they get on the same page. I agree it needs work, Chad, but you could see the the glimpses are there. Flacco will love Cortland Sutton. That play will convert. They will be better in the red zone this season. 
I just loved how that first unit marched right down the field. They look good, yeah, so for sure. Um, we still have a lot of questions still to get to in the Mile High Mailbag left from our, our YouTube listeners. But first, got to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, this next question comes from Mark Anthony Ignacio on YouTube. He says, you guys have become my number one source of Broncos media. While content from the Broncos page is interesting, I like how y'all are more realistic and don't seem to hide all the problems with the team. Here is my question. Though I am very excited about the defense this year, the linebacking core has me concerned. After we won the Super Bowl, our secondary was still good, but the trenches really hurt us in many games. How does this team's linebacker core compare to then, and are there any veterans on the trade block that could be added to help the middle of that defense out? Appreciate you guys. Zach, in terms of guys on the trading block, I haven't heard anything. Last I checked, Mason Foster was still available on the free agent market unless he's got swooped up in the last 24 hours. But I think one of the big differences in terms of comparing this current linebacking core to the unit that succeeded that world champion squad is that you still had, you know, he's banged up year in and year out, but you still had Brandon Marshall playing at a relatively consistent level uh, next to Todd Davis at that point. And and here you've got Davis, who's been promoted to the guy. He's the man in terms of the linebacker, the number one linebacker, and an unproven Josie Jewell. And we we touched on this in the gut reaction pod following the Seahawks game, but as was pointed out by Nick Kendall in our, our open thread on milehighhuddle.com during the game, man, those, those linebackers the Broncos have, you know, they're all young, they're all inexperienced, but what really jumps out is if it's not a downhill fill the gap, you know, attack the ball type of play, and they have to get out in space, they have to cover, they have to move laterally, you can just see the lack of athleticism in that group. Yeah, I think the Broncos have not replaced Danny Trevathan. I think ever since his departure, it's really hurt them in the middle of that defense. I agree with what you said, though. You said it pretty well. Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis, when they were good, you can win with them. But they kind of broke down, and that's why they're no longer playing together. And Todd Davis, you can get by with them. Josie Jewell, he's a above-average starter, I feel like, a decent starter. But we've been saying it, or at least I have, all offseason, Chad. They should have got an inside linebacker. They had Zach Brown as a free agent. Mason Foster, like you said, was a free agent. They could have traded for Darren Lee. They could have drafted a pure one higher in the draft. Uh, I I don't want to blame anyone just yet because injuries happen and they still have some young players. I like Josh Watson. I like what I've seen from uh, Alexander Johnson. But, yeah, that's their biggest weakness by far. The secondary is locked down. The defensive line is locked down outside linebackers. But Fanjo really has to kind of get creative. It's a mishmash. They don't have any all-pros there. He has to just get by and make chicken salad and uh, cover those weaknesses up. If he can do that, you'll have an all-around elite defense. And just two quick other things on the same topic. One, we got to reserve some judgment here because we haven't seen Davis and Jewel together yet in Fangio's defense. And we, we might not see him together till the regular season. So in, the, in that sense, it's kind of hurry up and wait. The other thing is, according to Pro Football Focus, three of the top five highest graded Broncos on defense coming out of that Seattle game were inside linebackers led by um, Alexander Johnson. He had like an 89 grade and then I think the next best was Justin Hollins, followed by just, uh, Josh Watson. So, you know, even though as you know, you can you can look at the the eye test and see that these guys are lacking some athleticism. PFF liked what they saw, so we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Now, next question here, Zach comes from unknown man on YouTube. He says, "How big of a step forward does Garrett Bowles need to make this year to validate the first round pick spent on him?" 
Uh, you know, at this point, I don't know that he'll ever be seen or he'll ever even have the talent to become uh, a Hall of Fame left tackle, a pro all, you know, a, a perennial all pro tackle. If he can just be consistent this year, Chad, and reliable and not self-sack his own quarterback or commit a lot of holding penalties, you know, blow his technique, he will justify his first round pick. He'll never be popular, I think, in the fan base. You know, offensive linemen who fail rarely are. But if, if Munchak can just get him to be consistent, reliable and protect Flacco on his blind side. Do that all season. Uh, stay healthy. I think the most fans would take that. I mean, at this point, let's look at, at the positives with Garrett Bowles, okay? Two years in the league as a first-round pick, he has started literally every game at left tackle. Now, hasn't always been good, and oftentimes it's been bad. But the good news is, toward the end of his second year, all right, down the stretch, he kind of hit a plateau where he was playing at a, at a relatively solid level. Like... He had one game I can think of off the top of my head toward the end of the season in which there was a he lapsed back into some bad um, you know habits. But the biggest thing for him, and this is where coaching comes into play, and I just is as, as improved as that coaching duo last year of Sean Kugler and Chris Strausser was over the previous uh, coach. So they just weren't able to reach him. You know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but Bowles in in years past would be seen receiving coaching. You know, maybe something happens in a in a practice rep, and his coach jumps on him, and instead of sitting there listening and internalizing it and trying to you know duplicate whatever they're, he's being told by the coach, tuning him out, turning around, and literally like turning his back on him and walking away from him while they're trying to talk to him, and that kind of thing. You know, it's it's unprofessional. It speaks to an immaturity. It speaks to a kind of sense of entitlement. But I think Mike Munchak is going to snuff that out, and I think you're going to see improvement, significant market improvement from Garrett Bowles in his third year. Um, and if not, I think another thing, another aspect to this, Zach, is that he's feeling legit pressure from behind him because Eli Wilkinson is playing at a high level himself. You know, I, I've written it multiple times the last couple of weeks. If Mike Munchak can't salvage Garrett Bowles, uh, nobody can. And then we'll know one way or the other, Chad, good or bad this year, what Garrett Bowles has. It's a make or break year for him. And uh, one option, if he doesn't pan out, maybe move him to guard. But if he can't be consistent in this scheme under Mike Munchak, if he just can't get out of his own way and just be reliable for them, he will go down as a bust and he doesn't have a very bright future with this organization. That's all we can really say at this point. All right, next question here comes from JL Avenger 23 He says, hi, fellas, greetings. Question, can there be third-string players who can make the 53-man roster? Lots of names that are unknown, and honestly, not sure if any of them can make it. Not impressed. What can you say about Kevin Hogan last night and the defense in the third quarter? And if the Broncos will look for a tight end to replace Fort, doesn't sound like they're going to do that, by the way. And then he says, a mile-high salute from Costa Rica. Keep up the fine job you are doing. Appreciate you. Um, let's start with the third stringers. Is there anyone there, you know, the depths of the this 90-man roster that jumps out to you as having a legit shot? The one name that does to me is Trinity Benson. That, that's a good one. I, I was going to say Stuart Cravens only because he played late in the game yesterday, and he's technically I, one of the backups. Uh, Trinity Benson, Josh Watson, an inside linebacker, uh, those deep sleepers. Uh, I would say Austin Ford. Unfortunately, I feel so terrible for him. He's out for the season now. But the, a bunch of these third stringers, Chad, as we saw yesterday, especially the offensive linemen, they were not good. They are not good players. Uh, Kevin Hogan especially, I think he should be a third stringer. Uh, they have a lot of work to do rounding out this roster. And at times, their lack of depth still 
jumps out at you. It's kind of eerie that three seasons later, they're still having the same problem. All right, we still have a few more questions, but this is going to be a longer episode for Huddle Up anyway. So let's just take one more break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, next question here comes from Stu Primakoff. He says, I finally see how to do this. Oh, you didn't want me to read that on the podcast. My apologies, Stu. He says, my question, did you guys notice how bad the second and third string offensive line was? Drew Locke was constantly getting less than three seconds to throw. Most run plays were for nearly no gain, and there were some penalties too, I believe. Do you guys think they will improve as time goes on with coaching, or are they doomed to be that bad? Also, did you guys notice how conservative the offense was playing? I didn't see them take any deep shots to wide receivers, and most of their plays seemed to be run plays for a short gain. Did you guys notice that trend, and is Scangarello known for being that conservative? If so, do you think he'll change and be more aggressive? Thanks, guys. Well, let's start with the O-line thing. I think we've actually spent enough time on O-line, the backups. I mean, they were bad. Don't write home about that because, I mean, what do you expect? They're backups to backups. You know what I mean? It's not an indictment on if you really want to grade or evaluate or judge the job that Mike Munchak's doing, look at the first and second team units. How are they holding up? And indeed, when those offensive lines are on the field, the rushing game opens up and the Broncos have moved the ball, at least in the first two games. So let's turn here, Zach, to the offensive issue Stu was asking about, the conservative play calling. Did you notice that as a team? First of all, some penalties. There were a billion penalties in yesterday's game. It was ridiculous. Uh, the conservative play calling, we know, I just lauded Scangarello for his play calling, so I can't turn around and bash him now. I, I didn't think he was outwardly conservative. Most coaches are in the preseason. They don't want to give anything away. They don't want to give any sort of the designs away. They're purposely vanilla. But you've still seen what Scangarello can do, like we talked about, sticking to his strength. So I don't have a problem with him being conservative. I do have a problem, though, with the penalties. And Vic Fangio does, too. And part of that is on coaching, preparation, focus. Uh, I'm way more worried about that, Chad, than I am the play calling. So for what it's worth, and this comes from Nikki Jabvala of The Athletic, in the second half, there were, let's see, there was a penalty on Jake Rogers for holding. There was a penalty on Chaz Green for holding. That one was offset. Another penalty on Chaz Green for holding 10 yards. So, yeah, that offensive line, the third string, it uh, it struggled, and they garnered their fair share of those penalties that really bogged the Broncos down in the second half. All right, next question here comes from Dylan Buck Elk. He says, what do you think Flacco's ceiling will be with Scangarello calling plays this season? Have a great weekend, my dudes. Appreciate it. You too, Dylan. The ceiling for Joe Flacco, let's be realistic. We know his career high in passing touchdowns is 27 with Gary Kubiak from 2014. Yards, you know, somewhere around 4,000. I think that's a fair ceiling in his 12th year. I mean, John always thinks this guy's still in his prime. And looking at him in that one series that he played, Zach – uh, with the first team, mostly the first team offense, I think he can put up some numbers. Nothing that, you know, is going to be Star Wars like the old Peyton Manning days in Denver, but like, you know, solid Jake Plummer, Jay Cutler caliber statistical production. Yeah, they're going to have to not settle for field goals, though. Uh, Flacco's ceiling. Uh, this year, based on what I've seen and being realistic, I mean, I can I can tell you with my heart or my mind, I mean, being realistic, 3,500 yards and I would say like 23, 25 touchdowns, somewhere in that range. That's his ceiling. If he can do that, the Broncos offense is in business. I think, I think that's a, a best case scenario in year one with all these new moving parts for a 34-year-old in Joe Flacco. All right, next question here comes from Sheldon Hunt. 
Hi guys, love the show. Always enjoy the content you guys put out. My question was, will any of Vic Fangio's pass rush packages have Chubb, Bradley Chubb, Shelby Harris, Demarcus Walker, Draymond Jones, and Vaughn Miller all rushing at once? Also, how do you think the next offseason the Broncos should address the offensive line and the inside linebacker positions? Look, we'd be lying to you if we told you whether or not Fangio has a, a, a package like that because nobody knows. I think he'll find ways to work that that group of guys together. My bet is you'll probably see that at some point in the 2019 season, so for what that's worth. But, Zach, more pressing, I think, or at least more interesting for the sake of conversation, how do you think the Broncos should address the OL and the ILB positions next fall or next spring? Well, first, let me just say that I think there'll be some sort of NASCAR package, but I'd much rather prefer it be this way with defensive linemen that can push the pocket as opposed to having Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett on the field along with Von Miller. I, I like having that uh, that dual threat attack on defense, so to speak. So I think they'll, they'll be successful there, and I am excited to see what Fangio can cook up. In terms of how they'll specifically address these, these positions, I want to see just a little more how they play out the regular season. It's still too early to say. We don't know how they're going to be drafting, what record they're going to have, who gets injured. There's so many variables at play here, but uh, if Garrett Bowles uh, has another blunder season, they can go attack in the first round inside linebacker we keep talking about they neglected it this offseason Todd Davis could be on his way out next year Josie Jewell cannot be the the long-term starter they want I mean they could go those positions fairly high I just want to see the season play out a little more yeah I think that's fair but you know what honestly I mean let's see Todd Davis is in the second year of that three-year not extension but that three-year contract he got at the top of the 2018 season so he'll be under contract next year but it'll be a contract year you'll have Josie Jewell in year three we'll see what happens with Alexander Johnson or Keyshawn Bieria or any of the other backups but I think you know where everyone was seeing either quarterback or inside linebacker in the first round this past draft it wouldn't surprise me for that inside linebacker trope to be even even more uh of a dominant storyline heading into next year's draft. So last question, and then we are getting out of here and enjoying our weekends. It comes from Jay Day. He says, overall, good game by the starters on both sides of the ball. Concerned about ILB and tight end. I think Austin Safarian Jenkins would be a nice pickup for us. Also, at inside linebacker, someone like Mason Foster or Josh Baines from Arizona would be good depth. I think next week will be more of a breakdown because I think the starters will play until the half. Oh yeah, Drew Locke played way better. Just minor kinks like footwork and decision-making. They need to let him sling it a little more too if the O-line lets him. LOL. So he's kind of exercising some demons. They're more, more just kind of reacting to what he saw. But what are your thoughts on the Broncos really kicking the tires on uh, an outside hire, so to speak, for off-ball linebacker? Uh, off-ball linebacker, Chad, I've been pining for it all offseason, and Mason Foster would be a great pickup for them at this stage in the game. If he's still available, I think he is. I don't think he's signed yet. Uh, he'd be a good pickup, but Vic Fangio has proven time and time again, month and month again, he doesn't want another veteran guy in here. He's confident in Davis, he likes Jewel, and he likes this host of young players he has, and if he can just get one potential starter out of that group then you have three inside linebackers you can work with it is going to be their strength regardless if they don't pick anybody up i don't think they will but the players they have with fangio combined with that and the coaching they can win with them so at this stage and given the history i don't see any outside competition coming in at inside linebacker here's something interesting about uh, mason foster that i just remembered 
and I'm looking at his wiki page right now. Just to, I popped in on it just to see if he's, he'd been signed yet. He hasn't, but he actually has ties to Fangio. So if you guys can think back to the 2015 offseason, the Bears, that was Fangio's first year as D.C. there with John Fox in Chicago, signed Mason Foster to a one-year deal. It was basically just north of a veteran minimum type of contract. And it says here, defensive coordinator Vic Fangio held an open competition to name the starting inside linebackers. Foster competed against John Bostic, Shane McClellan, Sam Acho, and Christian Jones. And then on the doorstep of the regular season, September 4th, 2015, the Bears waived Foster as part of their final roster cut. So they signed him at the top of the offseason and then cut him before the regular season even started. So even though there's a familiarity there, I mean, Devontae Bosby, after all, was cut by Vic Fangio's defense, and he's back in Denver. doesn't mean doesn't eliminate him as, as a possibility, but there had to have been a reason why the Bears didn't like what they saw from Foster under Fangio. But you know what, Chad? It, it says to me they don't have a problem signing a veteran player. They just signed Theo Riddick at running back, and they, they want to push Devontae Booker out apparently. So it's obvious that they don't want another veteran inside linebacker. So we can speculate on it. Vic Fangio, as much as I, I push against it, he is really happy with the personnel he has. There's no other way to explain it. Mason Foster was a leading tackler for them last season. He has ties to Fangio. He's not uh, an all-pro player. You're not getting anyone in their prime, so a long-term starter. But as a backup at this stage in the game, on a one-year prove-it deal, for depth, you could do a lot worse. But you know what? The Broncos really are cutting it dang close to the quick right now with their cap. So the, the ideas of going out and you know making some headline-grabbing free agent signing or even acquiring someone with a sizable contract via trade – Get it out of your heads, because the Broncos right now have less than $2 million in cap space. They have $1.728 million in cap space. And, you know, that's their emergency fund. That's, that's the, like the last-ditch effort fund if something catastrophe strikes at some point. But they can free up space. I mean, it can be done. And that's another reason why how much longer are you going to hold on to this Kevin Hogan thing? Because right. that's, there's a cool exactly. million you could add to the cap right yep. there and bring in a difference maker. Hogan is not that. He is not a difference maker, Zach. That's what I'm saying. I mean, why? not only is he taking reps away from Drew Locke, he's literally taking up space and money on the roster. I, I just do not see the upside at all with keeping him. So if it was up to me, I, I would cut him now. Well, hey, that's going to do it for today's episode, another great week of podcasting covering your Denver Broncos. Thanks to everybody for hanging with us, for listening, for engaging, for sharing these podcasts out. We appreciate each and every one of you, all your questions. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. We'll uh, be back on Monday with a fresh podcast, and we'll start uh, looking ahead probably to the next game with the Niners. But in the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner here, Zach Kelberman, at KelbermanNFL on Twitter, Myself, at Chad and Jensen. Follow Mile High Huddle on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. That's the best way that you can support the show right now. And uh, look forward to next week. It's going to be great, the Niners. So until then, for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Everybody, have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.